Why did you come here? Well, he's my dad. Feels like my last chance with him. He needs counseling. I know. Talks to himself. Your pops was never the same after we lost Norman. Hmm. You know he calls his name in his sleep. I can believe that. Who was that guy? Speaking of good boys, the five bloods. Oh my god. <laughs> Are we back at it with the transitions? Yeah, we're always back at it with the transitions, girl. Always. Uh, I loved this movie. Damn. Well, not damn in the sense that you're wrong, but damn, I'm kind of surprised that you were kind of attracted to this movie pretty heavily. What's drawing you to this movie pretty strongly? Uh, that's... <sighs> I was trying to think about that after we kind of talked about it, after we each, like, watched it. And I was having a really hard time with it because I was like, what what did I like about it? Yeah. What was special or different to me here? And the answer that I came up with is that I think I really, really liked the characters. Yeah, these are some pretty interesting characters Spikes has in this film. I think in every one of his films I've seen so far, I've liked a lot of the aspects of the characters but like i haven't necessarily liked the characters yeah and this was the first time where i was like all right even if this guy you know is a trump thumping asshole that clearly has ptsd and even if his son is kind of a brat and even if these lamb people are like clearly up to something hmm i'm into this yeah spike has always been pretty good about giving these giving these people no pun intended color he really does fill in the blanks for a lot of his characters and his best movies are actually about that like i mean malcolm x is a great example this movie is a great example a movie crooklyn which is a story about this this um young black girl growing up in brooklyn in the 60s i believe 60s 70s and navigating that back then but then sort of coming of age and getting shipped to the south for the summer and like so with their mom and a dad like the big family like all these people that spike kind of creates out of thin air like other than malcolm x obviously but he uh, yes fictional character people. fictional character malcolm x <laughs> yeah exactly he creates 3d people pretty well it was also i think this might be my fr- the first spike lee movie that i've seen that's like very much set in present day oh yeah every i mean because malcolm x is obviously not present day um, mm-hmm. she's gotta have was late 80s and do the right thing was like 80s too so so yeah this is 2020 yeah and i really like that there's something so dynamic in how he like captured modern stuff i was actually talking with with my friend greg who we should have on the pod at some point i was like yo uh i just watched the five bloods have you seen it and he was like yeah i have and i was like okay let's chat he and i were kind of going through for a while and at one point he was like yeah i really liked it i don't understand why the old guys played themselves in flashbacks though and i was like it's because you never really leave the war (laughs) (laughs) i mean yeah (laughs) that's a good observation and honestly i think it's actually i think it's pretty brilliant like i've never seen anyone else really do that other than the other than the picture at the very end where they're kind of like de-aged like whether like actually in the fighting or whatever Mm -hmm. they don't look very de-aged at all so it's kind of like we don't need four other actors and they're bringing them in and then you have to guess which one is which nah man just just let just let the old dogs just do the thing and and 
I think it's a stronger film for it. I, I will just say that the movies that we watched this week, I think at least Miss Juneteenth and The Five Bloods have two of my favorite conversations in movies I've ever seen. Oh, wow. Okay. So first of all, this movie gave me a panic attack. Like, just, <laughs> yeah. just genuinely. Uh, there's a specific scene, and I'm not going to get too specific in, in kind of all of it, because it's fairly new. And I want to make sure people have time to see it. But the scene with the landmine, I had a panic yeah. attack. But I think, you know, that's not good in a lot of ways. But at the same time, I think it speaks to how invested in it I was. Yeah. And and how even though I was watching it like off of my iPad, I was like leaning forward into the screen the whole time. <laughs> Which is really bad for your neck. That it is. And then also the apology conversation. Yeah. I started just bawling i cried a lot it was such a good conversation it was so well executed it was well scored the way that like it physically looked was beautiful and yeah i yeah i was a big fan there are a lot of moments in this particularly the the apology actually everything leaning up to that apology dora lindo was just on fire this entire fucking mm-hmm. movie i legit think of of all the Spike Lee movies and of all the Spike Lee films. And I'm pretty sure he's directed it at least like maybe like 22, 23, something like that. Like of all Spike Lee films, like Delroy Lindo's performance in the five bloods, mm-hmm. his individual performance is one of the best, like he's ever had. Like, I think I still think the apex for me is Denzel and Malcolm X, but mm-hmm. those are doing, those are, those performances doing two entirely different things. Yes. And just for the importance of Malcolm X, it's almost unfair to, to compare Malcolm and Denzel to anyone else, but I think there were Lindo, like he really knocked it out the park. And mm-hmm. the way he's able to channel just like the this the disgruntled veteran, the PTSD that he's fighting, he's ignoring, he knows he has it. And like there's a moment when they're all in the boat and they're talking about how he sees ghosts. Mm-hmm. And that's the only moment he kinda like verbally accepts it, but after that he kinda like dismisses it and just his total descent into complete madness i don't think spike has asked anyone i'm really thinking about spike's career and the movies he's done and i don't think he's asked any of his actors to go that deep into madness before it was remarkable his performance of del Orlando. all the other actors were great too but his performance if he doesn't win best actor in in this asterisk ass oscar season like if he doesn't win best actor like I don't think there's going to be a better actor performance from him um, from from anyone this year. Yeah. Besides. The other thing that I really liked is that uh, I felt Clark Peters, who played Otis, was so good as his foil. Yeah. You know, like his as Paul is kind of frantic, Otis is calm yeah. and they they've deal they've dealt with these things in completely opposite ways. We get back from now, we didn't get nothing but a hard damn time. Folks called us baby killers. Yeah. See, I bought into all that bullshit. How's your left change, huh? Yeah, right. Time we got these freeloading immigrants off our backs and built that wall. Negroes better wake the fuck up with the quickness, man. No, 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 I'm, no. I'm just saying, Don't I'm... tell me that you voted for President Fake Bones first. Yeah, I voted for him. Get the fuck out of oh, here. Oh, he didn't vote for I thought that was you. Impeach him. That grinning ass Negro in the front row. <laughs> right there behind Trump and them rallies. <laughs> yeah, man. That's Freeman from The Wire. So mm-hmm. I, so actually, the funny thing is two people in this are from The Wire. And I don't know if you watch at the very, very end, but for Wire fans at the very, very end of the, the movie, post-credits, there's a special scene that all wire fans would love. So uh, I, anyone, anyone that does of the wire and Clay Davis, watch the last like 30 seconds of the bloods post credits and you, 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 you won't regret it. <laughs> um, but no, I, yeah, I think, I think he was, he was pretty great about this. The only person that I was questioning if he would be good or not was Delroy Lindo's son in this. Mm-hmm. And because he was he was in this movie last year, 
called The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And he was the second in the movie. So he was like the supporting actor in that movie. And The Last Black Man in San Francisco, I think it was a movie that could have been better than what it was. Stylistically, it was a pretty good movie as far as style is concerned. But there was just something about the movie that was missing as far as particularly the blackness of the movie. Like, mm-hmm. it just it just kind of, not I want to say inauthentic, but it just felt like there was something missing from the story. And I don't know if that has to do with the director of the movie being white, but there was just kind of something that it could have been elevated in another way if it had gone in a different direction. But his performance in this movie was actually the best part of The Last Black Man in San Francisco. And he did this other movie called Captive State, which kind of bombed and he wasn't necessarily good in that movie he the captain say was this movie about aliens descending on earth and like people trying to revolt against the aliens mm-hmm. and he's playing a dramatic part that's in a totally different movie than this movie and so it doesn't work and so i had a fear that he would kind of be like an overacting i i'm not gonna lie. i had a fear he would overact in this movie but and the five bloods like his performance was was pretty stellar i really liked him he had a lot of depth you know how some some actors and some performances seem to have this very like ask me what it means affectation to some of their acting yeah he didn't have that and that made me want to know what he meant more <laughs> yeah sean jonathan majors that's the brother's name but yeah man that was his performance in this movie him being the son who's kind of vulnerable, he's kind of open, and he's kind of hurt by his dad, but you still give him that last chance. And then for that that glimpse of, I'm not going to spoil it for anyone, but that glimpse of, you know, I ha- I finally have this relationship with this man that I love that I don't know how he feels about me. That balance in a relationship, which I can definitely relate to, <laughs> like, I think that was actually masterfully done by him. What the fuck are you doing here? I'm worried about you. What? When I found out you were coming here. And? And I came to check on you. You don't give a flying fuck about me. <laughs> I do. You've been acting more crazy than usual. Yeah, well. You consider me checked on. You're here for the gold. Don't lie. You're going after the gold. I read those emails. You got to choose better passwords. One, two, three, four. <laughs> Come on now, Dad. Who do you want, David? An equal share for helping you find it. Hell to no. The authorities find out about this, y'all go back to the crib empty-handed. See you just a little job-ass gangster now, huh? After everything you put me through, I say you're getting a basement bargain. Yeah, I also really liked everyone in in this movie, regardless of how much they were in it, I felt had a lot of a lot of depth. And one of the things that I really liked that they covered in this movie is the recovery that's still happening for everybody. So it's not saying, oh, look at like these folks from Vietnam who who can't get over it. Like the Americans can't either. Nobody can yes like war war is is inherently super destructive and it destroys more than you can even see so like eddie who at a a certain point seems like probably the most well-adjusted of the bloods steps on a landmine and is still a casualty of war yeah even though the war was you know the war is over yeah I found that incredibly powerful. That's actually a beautiful thing about this movie that for the Americans, once we got out of the Vietnam War, in our conscience, it was over for us. But there's kids that are still literally, you know, mentally torn up by this war. And there's kids that are still stepping on landmines, which being in 2020, I would not even guess is a thing. And I do think it's a beautiful thing that Spike did give them, you know, kind of a tribute in a like a hat tip at the end of this film because yeah i i would not even guess that that's something that is still a thing now so yeah man war is definitely hell 
this is a very strong anti-war sentiment that exists yeah. in this movie. I'm not sure how many Vietnam movies you've seen, but the best ones have always have always been anti-war and showing you the effects of the show, the soldiers like during war. And then there's some movies that that kind of go a little bit post-war, mm-hmm. but I think this, this probably is the best one for what it's like post-war for an actual veteran. And like you said, like this isn't something that is like a year or two years or even 10 years later. Like this is something that decades later is still affecting these men. And yeah. the funny thing is, I'm not going to, I'm not going to spoil the movie, but at the end, there there's there's a shootout and i think that's the last thing that actually triggers paul into that last domino falling because he's like in a video game like he's in the zone like Mm -hmm. he is like gunning people down and he's right back into that mindset of i'm the vietnam war and that was it for him like that was it so i think spike pulled it off like pretty masterfully in that aspect and i'm actually and like i said i told you offline i'm actually really surprised that this is the second spike lee war movie he's done but i'm actually kind of surprised that he or maybe he never got the funds but i'm kind of surprised that he never got a chance to do like a vietnam war movie especially in a time when in 95 i believe dead presidents came out and that's a movie i was talking about it kind of shows you what it is like in the middle of war but it's mostly like after war and you see how the degradation of what it does to like warriors when they come back home and there's nothing left for them except drugs and destitution well, one of the things that I, I also really enjoyed is that it shows that that is still true for for the Vietnam uh, Vietnamese people as well. Yeah. You know that that trauma and that pain is still very present. Generally speaking, I'm surprised by how mixed the reviews on this are. Oh, they're mixed. I've actually I've actively been dodging reviews of this movie. According to IMDb, based on their user database, they it's a 6.5 out of 10. Oh, that's total bullshit. That's uh, that's absolute bullshit. The Metascore from Metacritic is 82, and it's averaging about three and a half stars on Letterboxd right now, which seems low to me. Yeah, that seems low to me. We both gave this film four and a half out of five stars on Letterboxd. Another person I follow on Letterboxd gave it a five and a half. Sean Fennessy of The Ringer gave it four stars, and another person I follow gave it three and a half stars. Maybe I should sort of seek out what people are actually saying about the movie, but I think this movie is highly impressive and highly effective. I, like I said before, the the performance from the uh, from Delroy Lindo, the jarringness of the war and the way Spike spices everything together, like the just the sweat and blood and the greenery, like just mm-hmm. everything about this movie. I think Spike did it to a T. For me, I I think the only part about the movie that I didn't, I I did think the 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 gruesomeness of the actual real footage could have been turned down. I could see people having problems with that. I think it, that a, a large group of people are not going to watch it because of that. I mean, but this is a reality that, well, one, the Vietnamese and the American GIs had to face, and two, unfortunately, we see these type of videos on on Twitter and Facebook very frequently, and. I think it's, well, one, I do think it's kind of a, a bad thing that seeing people get destroyed is something common. Yeah, it's and, entertainment. Yeah. And I think there's definitely problems with that. But I do think just to kind of get the grossness of war, I think Spike, I think he did that with this movie pretty effectively. And so I'll try to read some of the actual written reviews for it um, because, like I said, I've been dodging them. But. Mm. I, I think if if I would have saw three letterbox gave this the average is like three point seven. If I would have saw this and had the mindset that it was a three and a half star movie, that may have skewed my vision of it, but I looked at it like just directly straightforward. And I think anyone listening to this, like, this is a this is a great Spike League movie. Um and my top my top fifteen Spike Lee list, I have this directly after Crooklyn. I have this. Oh, I have this one number nine Spike Lee movie of all time. So, but I, I mean, 
obviously big dogs malcolm x do the right thing one and two obviously but spike has a lot of actual movies that i would say are movies in the in the time period they were dismissed over time they've aged supremely well there's a movie called bamboozled in the moment in 2000 when they got released it was dismissed it didn't do much at the box office on cable replays there were there were very very little on cable replays Mm -hmm. but if you watch that movie that is one of the best movies that spike has on commentary on relations in current times Mm -hmm. bamboo is actually i would i labeled a genius movie from spike lee and it's it's his most underrated movie ever Mm. that is a movie in, in a lot of ways i would actually say it's more effective than it's more effective than do the right thing in a lot of different ways. I don't want to say it's necessarily a better movie than do the right thing, but what he does with that movie, it's more, it has levels that are more effective than, than do the right thing. Mm-hmm. But I think maybe, maybe this is one of those movies where people can't necessarily grasp it now, but letting the wine bottle open, let it breathe for a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think maybe this could be a movie that that kind of does grow into the lore spike especially his his like storied history or whatever so yeah man like, like i said i i think this movie's great lindo great everything about this movie i i love yeah i i agree i really enjoyed it i i honestly don't know if it's something i'm going to go out of my way to watch again the rewatchable factor in this that remains to be seen but i mean at this point i'm just like eh, i don't know that i have it in me to to experience that again speaking of that like so even black Klansman that spike made that was a movie in the moment i did really like that also but i never went back to it after i saw it the one time Mm -hmm. that's actually not very common with me for spike like i like do i think malcolm x he got game she's gotta have it bamboozled crooklyn those movies i you know repeated view inside man but this is a movie i don't i don't know if i'm i don't know the next time i'm gonna watch it mm-hmm. so and maybe that's kind of it too like you see it once and it jars you and then it kind of just sticks with you yeah so maybe it's that kind of movie you know if it's if it's that kind of movie then that's fine like i'm watching a movie right now it's in the background right now and it's a scene with paul in the chicken and mm-hmm. He obviously has a problem with Vietnamese people. Mm-hmm. And the chicken and the clucking and throwing into his face is is completely triggering him into a place that no human probably wants to go to. Mm-hmm. He has, he has, you all he has PTSD. He gets triggered. The guy all for this shit. He all right? Hey, baby. What you know about it, huh? You know nothing about this. I don't have no fucking... Nightmares. You've been having nightmares. Yeah, he does. I don't yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, you do. We all got PTSD. Come on, now, tell me. Look, just breathe, breathe. Come on. Come on, man. Come on, bud. Come on. There you go. There you go. Come on. I see ghosts, y'all. I see ghosts. What happens uh, to all of us, man? Have you seen them too? Yeah. Huh? They had come to you at night. Huh? Stormy Nam comes to me down there every night. Now he talked to you like he talked to me. Come on. Come I don't on. think so. Come on. How many times do you want to watch that back? <laughs> like, it's it's hard. Like, this is a hard movie. Like, this is a hard-ass movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so calling him go gook and all that shit, like, that's kind of tough. <laughs> that's kind of tough. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll be honest, I was actually shocked how frank it was in the language. Not yeah. because I, I didn't think, it's not like I didn't think Spike Lee would be, but like, I feel like that the language that was used is not language that comes up very often anymore. Yeah, oh shit, I hope not. You but... know, like we don't talk about the the kind of language that was used there. And I also feel like a lot of movies sanitize yeah even what's happening in war to make you know the home team look better yeah and i was admittedly pleased that that didn't happen here because at least it felt real i'm never in the mindset of wanting directors or writers to change language to make audiences comfortable Mm -hmm. like 
it's one thing if you're trying to be crass and you know that's one thing but if you're like honest about what it is like in this scene back then during the vietnam war like they were calling vietnamese people these terrible names like it was their name similar way black folks in slavery they were called all types mm-hmm. of terrible names and that's what it was and so for this man to go back to vietnam now and get triggered back into those emotions it's it's a million percent honest for him to throw on that word because that's that's all he knows like he only knows pain he only knows horror and so mm-hmm. he's reverting back to that person so if he had in all honesty like if if he didn't even go there that would have been surprising in a bad way so yeah so i mean yeah. i would i would probably make the argument that it seems like it, it seemed to be implied that he never left that place hell yeah they shit like you know even Everybody even though he that. physically left yeah man that's he didn't leave that's a that's the very terrible thing about trauma like mm-hmm. it's it's really hard to leave that moment in time yeah. like you, you hold on to it and it can sink you and yeah. your body your body is going forward but your mind is it never does so yeah, uh, yeah. especially because he he seems you know he he held on to a lot of blame and fear for a long time that he didn't necessarily need to hold on to yeah and it like I said, a... oh yeah like you said we're not going to spoil it but yeah this is a man clearly holding on to something he should have let go eons ago yeah and in a, in a big way too yeah yeah man damn this this movie was fucking wild yo this movie yeah. was wild hiya puddins it's your girl holly quinn aka dr harleen quinzel here to tell you all about it. it's like a podcast or whatever we talk about nerd stuff and life stuff. And if you want to know what we're about, check out the Powie Awards, our 100th episode, Q and Slay, or Theater from Our Butts. Have a good day, puddings, and love, trust, and belief. Let's keep it on track for new, for new movies. An actual latest release, like Five Bloods, Miss Juneteenth. Welcome to the Miss Juneteenth pageant. I will never get over seeing Miss Juneteenth cleaning toilets. <laughs> the winner of Miss Juneteenth will receive a full scholarship to any historically black institution of your choice. Good luck. I know that you are looking to replicate your success. What's her problem? I beat her. It's about a story of this black family from Fort Worth, Texas, and this woman basically struggling her ass off. <laughs> like this, like mm-hmm. this movie, like this is a black. It's a story of a black mother um, trying to provide for her young daughter, and her juggling like all these hardships through her life. Like she's juggling a husband who's not worth a damn. Yeah. <laughs> a daughter, a daughter he going through really puberty. sucked. Yeah. Just like, they pulled no punches about how shitty he was. Yeah. And so, it's, it's also that, and then also her daughter going through puberty, and the boys she's talking to, and then also trying to provide for her in way of this Miss June 15th pageant, which could give her a scholarship to college. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I think the movie I think the movie was pretty authentic and pretty honest. And my letterbox review that I wrote, Turquoise reminded me of my mom mm-hmm. and how she internalized like all her shit. Like mm-hmm. in th- in this movie, Turquoise, different people in her life see different things that she has to deal with, but no one really talks to her. She never talks to anyone about everything that she's going through. Yeah. So like her husband is a deadbeat. He doesn't provide anything for her or the daughter, yet she's in a position where she has to support him. She has to support her daughter. She has to support them just to even keep the lights on. Like, there's a lot of things that she has to balance out. And I do think that Miss Juneteenth did a pretty good job of showing you kind of what 
what single black mothers kind of have to go through and kind of they have to suffer in silence basically mm-hmm. like she doesn't have anyone in her life that she talks to about this and even in the help that she seemingly is kind of getting is that help even really sort of worth it you know there's like a, a young man that tries to come into her life that he wants to you know get with her and marry her but it never feels like his motives are kind her. of authentic yeah it's kind of like it's more he wants her because she's the trophy he's hot she, yeah like he's so, straight up like open that's his opener yeah yeah and so it's kind of like he's basically trying to save her and she don't want to be saved <laughs> so uh what do you think of this movie i really liked it um i thought it had for for my taste a little bit of a pacing problem it was very lightly paced, I would say, to be to be nice. Um, so for me, there were some times where I was just taken out of it. Yeah. Because I was like, are we going to get anything else in this scene? Or is this all we're getting and it's still going? A lot of it was all build up. And I could, I could find myself, I, I can't even admit it, but I can find myself kind of checking out around the scene where... They come home and there's no power and it's the birthday cake scene. Mm-hmm. The movie is paced. I think it's purposefully paced slowly, mm-hmm. but I do think it was a bit detrimental to kind of like getting from point A to point B. Yeah, I will say that is where I actually kind of started checking back in. I I totally fell out in the middle for a while. And actually, I would say probably more so from like the birthday cake, but more specifically the scene with the dress. Yeah. And the what are we going to do about the dress to the end? I was like pretty much all in from there on. Yeah. But it felt like it took a while, man. I think the with the pacing, it was just kind of like. They're basically dumping the world on this mom, yo. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it was legit, like, one problem after the other. And it's like, maybe we could have took out one of the problems. <laughs> like, or made one of the problems, I guess, like, a little more dramatically bumpy. Yeah. yeah. I think the director kind of wanted to be kind of true as possible. But, I mean, because in real life, it's kind of not like at 8 a.m., bad thing a happens and then that mm-hmm. 9 a.m bad thing b happens it's not right it doesn't really work like that so it's kind of like this slow snowball falling down the hill turning to an avalanche type of thing oh uh, the saying? acting was so good yeah it was it was very strong acting from everyone the mother she was in the <laughs> the infamous black epi- black mirror episode <laughs> Do you know which one? Have you watched Black Mirror? I've seen some of them. I haven't seen all of them. Oh, doggy. Oh, she's in like the most infamous Black Mirror episode ever. (laughs) Shout out to Striking Viper. You gotta watch the episode. It's nuts. It's it's nuts in a good way, but man, that 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 movie is wild. But shout out to Nicole. Uh, I think her last name is pronounced Bahari. She plays Turquoise in this movie. She's a leading actress in this movie. She's uh, she's doing so much. You and eight hundred dollar just don't make no damn sense to me. Where you get yours from? The Goodwill. And you won. I don't want her in no thrift shop dress. Thinking she less than. I want her in the best when she win. You always had big dreams. <laughs> I'm gonna make sure that she's something that we ain't. She my dream now. And I also I really loved the daughter. I thought she was excellent. Yeah. I mm-hmm. thought Kaya was like really, really good in this movie. But yeah, I think the I think the story is more about the balancing act of black mothers and parts that we don't see. Cause like mm-hmm. even even when I back to myself, like there was stuff about my mom and our family situation that to this day, like I don't even really know the full story. Like when my mom and my dad broke up, we ended up moving from D.C. to suburban Maryland. We lived in a one-bedroom condo, and we had to share a bed together. Mm-hmm. Like, I and I never questioned it. Like, that's what it was. And so, in this movie, Kai, she was older than I was when my parents broke up. But she still doesn't get it, though. Like, she doesn't understand, like, how 
just money isn't kind of a constant thing. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of hard from a parent's perspective, which I hope we get better at, but from a parent's perspective, there's no real conversation about finances and what there is and what there isn't. A lot of times, yeah, I think parents like tell kids, you know, we're broke, but kids don't really understand what that means, honestly. Right. And so there's no real sit down moment throughout the entire movie about any of this. Like there's no there's no conversation about, well, with your dad being a shit. <laughs> and yeah. Me being a waitress, you know, I'm really struggling trying to get you this beautiful dress. And then in mm-hmm. the end, didn't get it anyway. Can I just like say one thing though that like actually kind of bugged me what? about this movie? I really feel like the husband needed like one redeemable characteristic. I mean, did he? I don't think he did. I, well, I genuinely don't understand why she kept putting up with him. I mean, like I I did not see any reason because it was kind of implied that like they broke up for a while and then kind of unbroke up. And I was like, girl, why? Like I I could not figure out what she liked enough about him to keep around. I don't want to sound like I'm being a dickhead, but I think it was just a sex. He only really came there to do the smash and dash. He only like, ever came there to come there. You know the dismount on that one. I'll tell you how much. Like, <laughs> like he like he was just slanging wood and like that was it. Like no more, no less. Like and I, I mean I I guess I mean, he's the father of her daughter, so maybe there's, like, a soft spot there for that. And, I mean, they were broken up, but they weren't technically divorced. So, to me, that indicates... I mean, divorce is difficult in Texas, but... But, yeah, I mean, I think even from the mental difficulty of it, I think they broke up because she was sick, but she still maybe wanted to work it out. And then, you know, don't want to spoil it, but... You know, I think she's giving him chances on chances on chances. And so... He's got a punch card of chances. What the hell are you doing? Where were you? Where's the money? You know I had to pay some of that restitution. We waited three hours. What good I'm going to be if I'm back in jail, huh? All them girls had made pretty dresses. And she had to walk the fucking stage in her shorts. She don't even want to do this. No sense in spending all that money on her dress. My money? Where's Riz? My homeboy. He put his body shop up for sale. He throwing his tools and everything. I couldn't pass that up. Basically. <laughs> like, because even it's so funny when when he confronted her and the guy that was trying to court her, like he was he was wilding out, but it's like, bro, like you had to get bailed out of jail for some dumb shit you did, like, mm-hmm. like you're never around anyway, like would like bro, like settle down, like. <laughs> I, I was actually kind of annoyed by how upset he got. Yo, he was, I mean, the point, I mean, I don't think he would have won the fight, honestly. Oh, no, <laughs> like, he would have gotten his ass kicked. <laughs> yeah, he did not want the smoke for that. Shout out to Kendrick Sampson, who he's a character that's on Insecure. And he, he actually started Insecure two seasons ago. He's actually a really good actor. Like, I mean, he played a deadbeat to a T, so... <laughs> so he, hopefully he's not, he's not like that in real life, but... Even in Insecure, he's actually he's actually a pretty good actor in Insecure well, also. If he, if he is like that, um, no one can say they didn't know. True. He's not necessarily a big of a fuckhead in Insecure. <laughs> um, but this movie, like, Juneteenth, like, it was actually a, um, he was a pretty big fuckhead. And yep. I think, and I think one of the, one of the best qualities of the film is how they do take time to you know, actually talk about what Juneteenth means. Mm-hmm. And especially what it means to people in Texas, uh, black folks in Texas in, in very particular. So I think that aspect of it uh, and even how there's a kind of thing that 
I noticed when I when I was in college, we did like this trip to South Carolina to the Gullahs to talk mm. about you know the Moors and stuff, and how these like these small just museums in these Southern black places kind of exist, and I think it was I mean DC has it too like DC obviously DC has like the bigger museums that everyone knows about, but there's like tiny other museums here and there that you can go to they'll give you knowledge of black history and so i think it was very cool that the film took you know just two minutes just to kind of acknowledge that in this movie mm-hmm. i thought it was pretty killer yeah then like i said like we really like the acting was pretty good the pacing kind of was a problem but i think this is actually i, I would recommend anyone who is interested in and good black acting good black movies interested in you know just a piece of what our history is i think june uh miss juneteenth is a definite good watch um i gave it a i gave it a four stars i think you gave it a three and a half stars in letterbox yep i mean i think that's that's kind of worth a watch honestly like even it's just a one a one shoot that you watch but you'll you'll get into it i think people have a good way of getting into it so uh, i think it's a good i think it's a good solid film yeah i i really enjoyed it again i i just particularly am sensitive to to kind of pacing stuff so that was i think a bit bigger of a deal breaker for me than it might have been for other folk yeah and that's okay for the listeners, if you want to see some fly black looking people, the barbecuer at the end when he came, he came through with a cotton candy linen suit and the jewelry on oh, that shit was fly. <laughs> Yo, my man. Yo, that's some Texas ass shit right there, I tell you. It boy. was very Texas. Yeah, man. That shit was dope though. I'm hopefully one day I'll start dressing in linen when I become an older black statesman <laughs> i'm i'm excited for this look i don't have much time all right so let me just say something real quick my name is eg and i am the host of two shows that are part of the hyphen podcast group the first show is called catch the show it's a show where i talk about music related news and pop culture upcoming tours that you may want to catch shows of and i tell you about a show that i call because it's the number one concert review podcast in the world and I've reviewed shows from Beyonce to Kendrick Lamar to even the Backstreet Boys so yeah, that's Cash the Show the other show is called The Underground Monster slightly different kind of show but still music related it's where I cover basically underground independent hip hop horrorcore and the juggalo culture so yeah, if you're interested in either one go to hyphenpodcastgroup.com and or go to your favorite podcast platform and just search for them and hit that subscribe button okay got that cool now let's get you back to the show you were originally listening to the last movie though which is a movie that man where do we even begin about this motherfucking movie the watermelon woman hi i'm cheryl and i'm a filmmaker um, nah, I'm not really a filmmaker, but I have a videotaping business with my friend Tamara, and I work at a video store, so I'm working on being a filmmaker. The problem is I don't know what I want to make a film on. I know it has to be about black women because our stories have never been told, so I've been renting movies. No, I haven't been renting movies, but I get movies from the video store that I work at, and I've taken all these films out from the 30s and 40s with black actresses in them, like um, Hattie McDaniel and Louise Beavers. And um, in these films, in some of the films, the black actresses aren't even listed in the credits. And I was just totally shocked by that. So in this one film that came into the store, Plantation Memories, I saw the most beautiful black mammy named Elsie. Her name, the Watermelon Woman. That's right, Watermelon Woman. Is Watermelon Woman her first name, her last name, or is it her whole name? I don't know, but girlfriend has it going on, and I think I've figured out what my project's gonna be on. I'm gonna make a movie about her. I'm gonna find out what her real name is, who she was and is, everything I can find out about her. Because something in her face, something in the way she looks and moves is is serious, is interesting. And I'm gonna just tell you all about it. (laughs) 
Just to give a little more background information on The Watermelon Woman, this is a super independent film that released in 1996. It follows the life of Cheryl, a queer black woman from Philadelphia, at a point in her life where she's trying to find purpose for herself. She gets motivated to create a documentary on a not-so-famous but nonetheless important actress from the 30s and 40s. During the creation of her documentary, she's balancing a love interest that falls into her life, a white woman named Diane, and her best friend Tamara, who doesn't approve. The Watermelon Woman touches on race, sexuality, and gender dynamics in a way that's not really after school specially. <laughs> it's a bit harder to find, but you can stream it on Canopy, a free streaming service that you can set up through your local library system. The movie is great. I recommend it. Back to the show. Because you saw this way before I did. Like, this yeah. is a movie you've seen years ago? Yeah. Shit. I saw it uh, in college. I took a black... Uh, American women writers class my sophomore year of college and it also included film writers so we also watched uh, The Watermelon Woman and we watched something else I was trying to find my syllabus and I couldn't find it though and I will say one thing about this class that I think is interesting and hilarious was taught by a white man (laughs) of course (laughs) of course Shout out to Connecticut College for hiring a white man to do this. That said, surprisingly, like, at least he, like, you could tell he had done his research. Yeah. He had a lot of empathy and knowledge that was not necessarily authentic, but at least he had a lot of good sources. Like, it's clear he had done his homework, at least. Yeah. And uh, that's nice, because sometimes that's not true. (laughs) <laughs> uh, yes. like i was in a, a different class that was just american women writers taught by a woman and i guess she forgot that asian women asian american women existed oh my because we had none of those on that syllabus jesus christ yeah so that was uh, a thing but yeah so that means as a side effect of taking this class i got to watch gay sex in a class hey hey and I remember really liking it. I thought the that sex? the well, no, the movie in general. Uh, please, like I have time for lesbian sex these days. Um, <laughs> Who does? Honestly, uh, I really like it. Uh, the movie, I think it's really good. I do think that it's it's a little bit hard to watch. It may just be that the the literal styling of the movie is something I. I don't particularly care for. Like that might actually just be the problem here. Do you mean like the handheld? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I find that really jarring in this movie. Really? Wow. Yeah. You know, the funny thing is it didn't resonate with me how that would be jarring to someone younger than me, but thinking about it now, I can see how that would be kind of off putting, but I actually, I love that about this movie. I kind of do have a things for like 90s aesthetics mm-hmm. and independent film using a handheld camera. Like that was, I mean, we even talked about Sex Lies and Videotape where that was kind of like one of the first ones to actually get the ball rolling on that. That <laughs> That is a 90s thing that is specific to 90s filmmaking. And for me, someone who I'm, I'm used to it. So for me, it kind of gave me a bit more depth to it. It, it in a creative sense because it's like i know that she's using the video as the storytelling specifically for the documentary mm-hmm. so not only does it kind of build stylistically and telling the story of the function of the video camcorder but then it's also like the practicality of like people in the 90s if you had access to a camera like you can you can the we had a sense that it was a limitless possibility type of situation. Mm-hmm. Like you just needed a camera and just go. A lot of what she actually created, the film's uh, writer and director, Cheryl Dunier, a lot of her earlier works is a lot of sort of art house type of art house type of movies. Mm-hmm. And she uses like the video camcorder a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that she's always kind of leaned on in a sense. But I do think in this kind of way, she does use it effectively between the set standard film camera and then balancing up the video camera aspect of it. 
And even speaking kind of like even to the 90s aesthetic of it, is <laughs> everything about this movie is so 90s. Like the like the dress of everyone, like the the movies that they go to rent, like it mm-hmm. it was really a mega flashback. Like for me when I was a kid, I went to daycare in DC Southeast friendship house i have no clue if it's still there or not but i went to friendship house in southeast dc and one of the women that worked there her name was joanne and if you think about in this movie the tamara character joanne was her but light skin and like i vividly remember being a kid around joanne and seeing that she was masculine but then i'm so young I don't know what any of it means. Like, Mm -hmm. and I even remember like being kind of confused. It's like, she, she has her hair cut like men. She wears her clothes like men. She wears boots that men wear. And yet she's a woman. Like what's like, and this is like me, like, fuck, I was like five, six years old. Mm -hmm. And so, Seeing even just the style, of, the style of dress, and seeing it in this movie, and it's like, yeah, bro, this this is set in Philly, but cats in DC were dressing almost the same. Well, uh, I guess women lesbians are kind of dressing the same in DC as they were in Philadelphia, but it's kind of man, least, this lesbian craze, huh? I know, man. <laughs> it's like rap. Will it ever die? <laughs> but. But no, I think for me, like, I enjoyed this movie so much that I, le- I legit think in my heart of hearts, if I were to watch this, if someone who's obviously I'm not a woman, I'm not, I'm not a queer woman, obviously. Really? I, I mean, sometimes I, that's not. Uh-huh. <laughs> 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 no, I am not a queer woman. <laughs> Whoa, I'm sorry. I know. Revelations. <laughs> but no, but seriously though, like if I if I would actually watch this movie when I was even in middle like high school, I think it would have motivated me to actually give filmmaking a real chance. Mm-hmm. Like the the DIYness of the movie, just these black people telling this particularly black story, like I think it would have it would have motivated me to get in a movie, so I can't even imagine what it would have done to like young queer black people to see this. Yeah. And I so yeah, I can understand how that, that aesthetic would be pretty jarring. But what were some other things about the movie that you liked? So I think that my my favorite kind of thing about it is showing how shit things are for women who like things. <laughs> It That's probably die. not very nice to say, but like, you know, she she works in a video store and she sees this thing and she she's trying to have a relationship with it. And it like hasn't occurred to people to care yet. Yeah. And I feel that so hard sometimes. That's super real, you know, and it's still super real. And you can also tell she's tired of it, which is super real. <laughs> yeah. You know, no, no one is having fun with this still. Yeah. You know, but it's it's still kind of what's happening, unfortunately. And I think one of the things that has always like really stuck with me about this movie is just like she gets that female tiredness of trying to exist in a space that it seems like doesn't want you to exist. Yeah, exactly right. And uh, I think about that a lot. Whenever you guys watch this movie in college and even kind of thinking about it now, did you guys have a discussion on kind of like what the film was as far as like the racial dynamics of her being like a kind of like an interracial relationship and kind of what it kind of means to see that on film versus like how everyone else is kind of interpreting it? Like, did you guys talk about how for Tamara, she was a person that was obviously anti for anti the relationship but in kind of a way she was kind of proven right so in in the interest of full disclosure this was like over three years ago so i'm I'm trying to pull from a a long time ago well but i i seem to kind of recall that a lot of it was just talking about 
like in in kind of the very college way about perspectives yeah so you know tamara is coded as a bit older than our main character whose name i can't she's just cheryl right in the movie yeah she's got this tiredness that cheryl doesn't have especially at the beginning of the movie yeah like uh, honestly this this movie i i just remember thinking like oh this is like the process of someone just like getting more tired and more tired and more tired and more tired and like things falling apart as like it is revealed i guess or it is realized at least that like shit is hard and maybe the world doesn't care about you as much as you hoped well yeah i mean i think that's that's what started her on the journey of even wanting to make a film about you know black women in cinema because obviously the the watermelon woman she's a character who was uh it wasn't necessarily menstrual movies but it was movies about you know coming Mm -hmm. from a time period where the only way you can be a black actor would be if you're playing like mammy-esque type roles and so she wanted to actually kind of discover more about who this woman actually was and to give her an actual voice yes and so the movie itself it's kind of setting up on this idea of a black woman trying to find her voice Mm -hmm. and she's trying to find her voice just of her own volition without anything like any other qualifier she's trying to find her voice through someone else's voice though which i i do think is worth thinking about yeah she's trying to she's basically trying to find guidance through this project and when she discovers you know more and more pieces about who the watermelon woman is and when she discovers her name is faith richardson and the stage name is faith richards Mm-hmm. Um, she she's kind of more like getting pieces of the puzzle, but then also still on like this quest to find more and more about her. Mm-hmm. And I think Tamara's character is pretty significant because this is a a black woman who is obviously <laughs> over kind of whiteness in a sense, mm-hmm. where it's like throughout the movie she's openly just like constantly like challenging white people basically mm-hmm. and the character that cheryl dates diana you know she's this white woman but also she's kind of like an imaging of what like the like stereotypical like lipstick lesbian would look like she's a beautiful white woman with kind of no cares in the world she kind of slips in and out of black culture it seems mm-hmm. it kind of just gets away with it and the funny thing is in the early in the movie, we're first introduced to Diane when she's reading Cleopatra Jones and Jason's lyric. Jason's lyric <laughs> has no reason to be rented by anybody white. I was gonna say that flat out. <laughs> like, like that is a black ass movie, and it is not a good movie. Like that movie's terrible. <laughs> and when it didn't. I watched it again and I thought about it again. And Tamara's whole thing is how Diana is a woman who she she plays into blackness for some sort of fantasy fetishized reason. Mm-hmm. And when you discover that she's dated multiple black black multiple black people before, like she is running these black ass movies, and then she's doing work with like black children then it's kind of like, yeah, I think maybe Tamara's assumptions were correct. But in the same time, like, she's kind of distrustful of white people, but then her distrust is what leads her to being disrespectful to Annie, which Annie is a woman who, she's actually someone that could, you know, be a friend and Mm -hmm. eventually does give Cheryl something that is actually monumental to the discovery of her documentary that she's trying to create Mm -hmm. so for tamara though i think ultimately though tamara knows that this movie is about this black woman trying to find her voice through this black actress Mm -hmm. and getting this white getting these white people involved in it it kind of takes away from that because she was she was a woman that worked on it with her so these two black women collaborating for this one particular black project but now Mm -hmm putting the white people in in the mix of it kind of takes away from that voice and so i think her obviously i think her character 
on the surface is it's can be used for sort of like a comic relief but if you kind of think about the functionality of her character um mm-hmm. and the shading that she's getting you know i think she's a pretty pretty interesting person and that's like another reason why i like this movie so much where it's like you don't need you don't necessarily need your handheld to this movie and cheryl right. doesn't really do that and i think the only thing we, we probably should have gotten was an actual breakup scene between her and diane at the end mm-hmm. but other than that cheryl doesn't really hold your hand through this like you see everything how it's playing out in real time like you can see specifically you know why cheryl should do a but maybe she shouldn't be trustful of person a so i i was i was a really big fan of the watermelon woman it's a really yeah good movie. it's real good <laughs> do you have any final thoughts on it before we wrap up just watch it also if you enjoy it there are a lot of really good video essays about it also watch those uh do you want to post some of them in the show notes when yeah we post i'll throw them up on the show notes cool. uh but i also think you know knowing knowing the history of of uh, black folk in cinema or in a lot of cases the lack of history before you go in makes the movie a lot you get more from it that way which is a thing that i really enjoyed watching it the second time the video that you sent me that was stuff that i kind of had a knowledge of already but i can understand how just kind of like a lot of people typically wouldn't necessarily have that in the the video essay that i sent you it was developed by this queer black woman who she gets more into like the the actual analysis of the film, and I thought that was pretty helpful. I watched it after the movie, mm-hmm. and also there's actually an interview that she uh, that Sharon Dunier does with BFI that she did. I believe it was actually pretty recent. Honestly, I watched it too. It's about 45 minutes, but it talks about her career and also the creators of the film's career, the cinematography, basically everything that was kind of shot from the actual not the video camera but everything else it was by another queer black woman and i think there's some actually pretty good shots that i'm really a fan of and even the you know we obviously talked about the the sex scene in it even how they shot that scene it's pretty intimate and it's not grotesque like it's not like through the male gaze it's It's also super awkward which i appreciate (laughs) i mean awkward sex is a part of life yeah, which I, I feel like so much of, of sex and sexuality is stylized, even if it's not for the male gaze, you know? Yeah. I kind of appreciated that this was, like, there's, like, some uncomfortable laughing in there and, like, yeah, whatever, you know, because that happens. Even just the focus of the movie, uh, of, the, of the scene, is not, like, a particular body part or even even really their faces honestly it's like kind of like what their hands are doing and the body's moving like back and forth or whatever mm-hmm. and i thought that was that was shot pretty tastefully and, and was pretty well done so yeah i definitely recommend the watermelon woman pretty heavily and if i can go back in time to get it on stars or cinemax or something like because it kind of sucks because where it's like in the mid and late 90s you know obviously there's like this real big renaissance to go with indie films and the backlash against this movie obviously it's, it's a queer black woman telling her story Mm-hmm. And then you have like a, a sex scene in the middle of it. And if you look at sort of Dunye's art house stuff, some of that does have sex in it too, lesbian sex and black lesbian sex in it. But you can tell like she's a queer woman that in a good in a good way, she does believe her her stories have value, which they all do, honestly. Mm-hmm. I would say this is probably the apex of what she did. I don't because after this movie I think other than like some like our house stuff, I don't think she directed a feature again. But I think this movie is is pretty good. I would definitely recommend checking it out. Like if anyone, if you guys have Canopy, you can watch it for free through Canopy. But yeah, it's it's a great movie. Oh no, she did another movie called Stranger Inside for HBO. When about? Bro, this was five years after the Watermelon Woman. So she's actually she's pivoted to TV. After she did the movie, she went into teaching. Now she's like pivoting to TV. She directed some episodes of, I was gonna say Queen of Slim, goddamn, uh, of Queen Sugar. She directed episodes of Queen Sugar. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so she's working like Avery DuVernay so yeah she's mostly in TV now but I didn't want to catch her other movie she did see if that movie was any good or not find Kat at Kat Chinetti on Twitter Twitch and Instagram find Marcus at Show and Mad Love on Twitter and Instagram S-H-O-I-N M-A-D-L-O-V Please join our Facebook group at We Should Do This Again Sometime and follow us on Twitter at Kat, K-A-T, and Mark, M-A-R-C. Read us at catseesmovies.tumblr.com and themarkrob, T-H-E-M-A-R-C-R-O-B dot wordpress.com. Be sure to tip your waitress at Catherine Chidetti on Venmo. This podcast is executive produced by Kellen Conley and Eric Greenley under Hyphen Podcast Group in conjunction with It's Like a Podcast or whatever. Thanks again for listening. We should do this again sometime. This is a Hyphen Podcast production. Are you not entertained?